Hello everyone and welcome to the Empathy Podcast. My name's Leanne Butterworth and today we're speaking about empathy and midwifery with Liz Wilkes from My Midwives. So learning about the role of a midwife, the value of relationships in midwifery care, but more importantly, the value of what's called continuity of care as a midwife. So the importance of that to mums, to bubs, to families, to societies, and we learn about what continuity of care is how it's different to medical care, how the value of it and why it is so important and why relationships are such an important part of the midwifery continuity of care journey. My name's Leanne Butterworth and this is the Empathy Podcast. Hello, Liz, and welcome. Hi, Leanne. It's great to be here. Fantastic to have a chat. I'm so looking forward to this one. This is very close to my heart. So, Liz, can you please give us a bit of an introduction about who you are, what you do? I'm a private practice midwife. And so um, I started off in midwifery continuity of care, which is where a midwife looks after the same woman from early in pregnancy, right through labour and birth and through their postnatal period. And I've kind of always worked in that model, um, both within the hospital sector and in private practice providing home birth care, basically for most of my career. Um, But I was heavily involved in maternity reforms and getting Medicare for midwives in sort of the 2009-2010 sort of national maternity reforms. And so from there I set up what's now Australia's largest private midwifery practice, My Midwives, and we have... Um, practices, two practices in Brisbane, uh, two in Melbourne and one in Toowoomba and we provide that model, that midwifery continuity of care to women who sort of similar to a GP, so kind of like they can just come in, self-refer to us and have their care with us, with us going into hospital with them um, and actually, you know, for want of a better word, delivering their babies or looking (laughs) after them in birth. Um, through their actual birth period and then through their postnatal period so that they see the same person uh, throughout. And that model of care has been sort of demonstrated to be kind of the gold standard in, in maternity care for a long time, but obviously governments and funding and power and all the things that are interesting in the world um, have kind of prevented it from really getting, you know, getting a good sort of stronghold in the maternity service Uh, in Australia. Yeah. So you mentioned continuity of care there and I have two children born, one was born 2010, one was born 2012 and I had to a large degree that continuity of care model which is that you see the same midwife before, during and after and it made such a difference. I did it through the birth centre, so the Royal Brisbane Birth Centre and I loved it especially for my second who was a true caseload continuity of care baby and I became so passionate about this that I became what's called a consumer advocate so I would be out there like championing for women so if we go back to continuity of care a lot of people I'm assuming think that they have that with their doctor so they go and choose Mm -hmm. an obstetrician Mm -hmm. is that the same thing Look, no, it's not. Um, I don't want to, you know, bag that model because obviously there is there are some benefits to having the same obstetrician throughout. But the difference is that the obstetrician isn't actually beside the woman throughout their labour and they're certainly not sort of beside them throughout their postnatal period either. So really the continuity for from an obstetric model really rests with the antenatal period, so the pregnancy, so they're looking after them, same person looking after them through the pregnancy and kind of on call and in there for their labour and birth. But they're not actually walking alongside them for that whole journey. So it's not sort of down into that really strong relational care. There's definitely a level there. 
but it doesn't actually dig that little bit deeper so that they're actually standing, walking alongside them through their whole labour. And then obviously as you're a mum, you'll know that six weeks after birth is where the rubber really hits the road. And, look, oh, yes. you know, yeah, <laughs> those of us, those are the, the listeners that are mums will, will get this, you know, that, that that period is where things really sort of are, uh, are tough and, you know, where women really need that day-in, day-out support. And obviously an obstetrician can only really see them, you know, they see them in hospital for a couple of days and then, you know, a four- or a six-week check and that's kind of it. There's not there's not much um, in that space. So whilst, yep, there's there's a level of continuity, it's just not it's just not comparing apples and apples, you know. It's yeah. a different, different sort of model altogether really. Yeah. For... um. I mean, my my example with Zara is uh, she went on nursing strike at three days old. So I'm at one in the morning, I'm feeding my child with an eyedropper and my beautiful midwife was with me trying yeah. to get this child to attach. Yeah. And it happened yeah. and it worked. But yeah. if I didn't have her by my side, I don't know where we would have ended up. And that's so, the thing that women say. You know, they say that it's those early hours of the morning in the postnatal period where there is nothing else. You know, you can't just ring up, you know, and pop in and see your GP or your obstetrician or whatever. It's the FaceTime calls in the middle of the night or the or the coming to your home in the middle of the night and, yeah. you know, walking you through whatever process it is or whatever it is that's causing the challenge. <laughs> so you, me- you mentioned a moment ago this, the relationships and how important that is. Let's go back further then and let's talk about before how to strengthen a relationship and the value of the relationship. What is the value of the continuity of care model and why don't a lot of people know about it? Look, the value the value is that it is the depth of relational care. So, like, you know, we can talk about what that is in a minute, but, you know, the, the reason that people don't know about it is because, for whatever reason in Australia, motherhood sits in a funny sort of a place in terms of even our valuing of of mothering as an experience. And I guess, you know, we can dig into that in all sorts of political ways or all sorts of philosophical ways or whatever. But we, we've never really... Um, you know, once we went into sort of medicalising care, we've never really backtracked and looked at what parts of the medical model are really important and are really valuable. And, and of course, there are, you know, hundreds of them. Like we don't want people dying from a lack of, from sepsis, for example, you know. So there's there's elements, but we've never gone back and unpacked the fact that whilst there's lots of really good things within that, that there's lots of things that we've lost in changing to a very medicalised model. And the things that we've lost are that sort of depth of relational care. And obviously in other countries they've kept that. You know, there's there's models of care where maternity care is focused around midwifery with medic- medicine coming into it uh, where it's needed all around the world um, and lots of cultures value that as well. So, mm. but Australia, for whatever reason, kind of, I suppose, has gone down that very Western and possibly even Western to sort of an American Western kind of model because we've got some private and some public and, you know, some mixes in funding models and we could get into all that, geez, it's not really, yeah. you know. But but that that has meant that we've kind of stayed in this space that is not... Uh, is not really looking at the relationship side of it. We're actually just looking at the patient, you know, for want of a better word again, the patient sort of medical journey. And so that's that's lost a big chunk and that's that's, um, something that people just don't actually investigate possibly because of where we put mothering, you know, like and whether it is that or whether it's just that they just have not educated themselves in it because there is a growing, you know, body of research around this and certainly a growing body of, um, you know, people that are getting recognition around this model of care, but it's just not, you know, it's not accepted into the sort of mainstream totally normalised part of care just at this particular point in time. Yeah. So do you think that comes from this risk profile as well of birth being seen as 
high risk, high pain, a negative experience because that's a lot of what what I see and what I hear. I hear people, I mean, I remember being asked and I said, I actually enjoyed giving birth. I genuinely enjoyed giving birth because it was beautiful. And I've had people say, you mean, and I said, I don't want drips in my arm. I'm not interested in that. If it happens, it happens. And I trust my midwife so implicitly that I knew that if she went, oh, I'd be okay, where are we going? Yeah. But I had somebody say, you mean you'd rather the agony of childbirth than some drips in your arm? I went, it wasn't agony. It wasn't and we don't talk about that. You don't hear those stories. You hear no. a, a risk and a scary and a dangerous and a, I don't want the pain. I want it to go away. I trust this person. Yeah. But I don't think people are in that mindset that we have no. to question. We don't question we, doctors. No, we're definitely in a cycle around it that I spend, you know, time in terms of education, whether it be you know, via social media, whether it be by um, classes with people, travelling around, doing all kinds of things. Because we're definitely in a cycle where women hear stories that are really negative via media, by their friends, by whatever. They become, they've become, you know, totally distrusting of the birthing process. So they don't, they, they're distrustful of their birthing process. And so therefore they distrust their body. They accept whatever help they can get from wherever. They end up with a very medicalized negative birth experience. They haven't used any of the tools, the physiological tools that our bodies have, have you know, have allowed us to survive as a society or as a human race. You know, they don't they don't rely on any of those things. They accept all the help that they can get. They then have a negative medicalized experience and then they go on to the next person. And that's that that is an actual cycle that we're, you know, that those of us that are really involved in physiology and really involved in birthing as you know, the, the sustainability of our planet around birth, that that is, that is what we're trying to actually, that's what we're up against really at, at the end yeah. of the day. And that's a, that's a, that's a massive job. It's a, it's yeah. a difficult job. Um, and, and that's, that's just the reality of, of it and what we're trying to sort of impact at this particular part of, of society's journey. So what are the risks involved in the medical uh, model for mums and bobs? Yeah, so look, we don't even we don't even know we're getting a growing body of research that's demonstrating all kinds of stuff. So there's stuff around the fact that if we don't have natural oxytocin, which is the, you know, the hormone that's controls the whole labor process but also controls bonding feeding and love and is involved in sex, is involved in all kinds of stuff. If we don't have that at the level that we need it to be during birth, we actually don't know what the impact then is ongoing on that baby and that mother-baby diet. And we're seeing, you know, we could even say like, and and look, there is, you know, it's difficult to do research around this, but we, we see in nature, in in mammalian society, where if, um, if a mother and baby diet is disrupted, the mother actually doesn't love the baby and walks away from it. Now, obviously, we are not that dramatic in human society, but what that, that breaking that bond is a very, very significant sort of foundational um, aspect to the family's journey as a family. So what does that then mean for society? That's one level. We could then go into all of the human biome, like what are we doing to the human biome when we're disrupting birth? You know, we, we can see that lots of, we're getting lots of research coming through now around um, challenges in immunity, allergies, all that kind of stuff through disrupting the human biome during birth. And, and that's skipping so, the vaginal know, part of it. That's that's seeding yep. in the vaginal part. Yep, that's right. But you know, even just looking at the mother having the baby onto her skin immediately after birth, and or not, you know, and what yep. that actual process does in terms of the this response. So not just being born through the vagina and vaginal seeding and all those kinds of interesting, crazy kind of topics that you could do a whole podcast on. Okay. But you know, even even having that baby on your skin afterwards and what having 
you know, not bathing the baby for a particular length of time. And, and, you know, so there's all of that. And then we can get into the really medicalised stuff of saying, okay, so if we don't have relational-based care, we know that the leading one of the leading causes of maternal death in the first 12 months after after the perinatal period is suicide. So we know that not having relational care is impacting women's anxiety oh. and postnatal depression. So we've got kind of got a whole bank of really strong science and stuff around you know medical models or what what not necessarily even medical models but you know the whole of maternity care structure what it's doing at the moment and then we've kind of got this more um you know developing research around what we're missing out on because we're yeah. not actually looking at physiology so it's it's a massive topic in itself it's oh. just you know really significant and there's that culture as well of like you said before about dismissing and be almost belittling motherhood of that not validating birth trauma. Yeah. And well, because, you know, you know oh, at least you have a healthy baby. I'm I'm not doing well. I was I had things done to me without my consent. I, I didn't personally, but they're the stories that I've heard. Yeah. And at least you have a healthy baby. And they're going, I'm not okay. I'm yeah, not no. okay. And that's where, you know, the whole elements of birth debriefing and spending time with the care provider that was, so that's where that sort of whole relational care through the whole continuum really is so valuable because you've got somebody that was present in your birth, understands, and look, sometimes birth does not go the way that you want it oh, to no. go. And that's, that's you know, absolutely, unfortunately, even with the best. But if you've actually had the chance to, unpack what's gone on and talk about different parts of it and you've had control over the decisions that you were making even if it's unfolding in an unex, you know an unexpected way it you, it's a very different outcome at the end you know the woman is in a very different space at the end but we're not valuing that we should be valuing it but we're not valuing it particularly well i think we we you know these sorts of conversations are coming out more and more in different areas of society and i think we are starting to realize how um troubling but how important it is but we we've got a long way to go yeah and i think also the relationship between fear and physiology Oh, and see, you know, that's where that's that if we go into that in terms of the whole oxytocin process, you know, as soon as you've got fear in the space and, and that whole really difficult, fearful sort of adrenaline producing um, situation in the space, you're actually getting rid of your oxytocin. You've got, you know, they're, they're competing for receptors. It's it's just it so even on that physiological level it's there, but we've got it in then in even the decision making process and, and what the care providers, the people around you are doing and you know, yeah, we could just go on and on in terms of all of that. The thing that gets me is we are and you are working against a system and working against I mean it is a system, it's an industry that we know has implications for mum and baby. And you're looking at this going, look, I, <laughs> you want to scream from the rooftops. The relational model, the continuity of care model, it has the absolute best outcomes for mums and bubs. How do you do that in terms of being a midwife and building relationships? What goes into building relationships with your clients? Look, I think the thing is that it starts at the very beginning. I mean, that's a very stupid thing to say, isn't it? It starts at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. No, um, it, it's what's brought a woman into your space, into your into your locus, really. That is how what defines you know how that relationship develops. So, women can either come into the space and start that relationship journey from a very um, fresh. First time mum, quite a, you know, joyful, lovely experience. Or they can come into it with a very significant amount of baggage. And it's the same as developing any relationship, you know, whether it's with a mate, whether it's with a partner, whatever. You're starting with what's gone on in the past. And so 
sitting and sort of trying to unpack that and recognising what parts of that have contributed to where that individual is at that particular point in time. So it's the same as every single relationship that we develop. But you're also recognising that you're going into a journey with them of one of the most significant experiences that they're going to have as a person. So it's 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 a huge responsibility um, and it's a huge sort of learning curve about each other, I guess, that you undertake right from the very, very beginning because you're they're learning about you, they're learning about the model of care, they're learning about what's going to impact their birth, their experience, and you're trying to really quickly you know, quickly, but, but you know, de- it develops over time, but quickly getting an understanding of where they've actually come to when they're coming into your space and into your office or your clinic or wherever you are, because that's what sets that sort of foundation for the information that needs to be shared and the relationship, uh, the, the feelings that need to be shared. And obviously it's, it's, such, a, it's such a heartfelt uh, profession, if you like, because you can't just go into it with your head thinking logically about whatever's going on. You're actually coming into that space with a whole lot of stuff um, from your heart, from your soul, from your values and all of that, that. and being able to exchange that and learn that about each other in a fairly, you know, in a fairly rapid time frame but with a very important, um, you know, <laughs> really critical sort of end goal because you've got, you know, their birth, they're only going to do that the once, you know, every birth is an individual experience. So, yeah, it's a kind of it's a fairly uh, fairly fraught and an important kind of journey, really. Mm. Does the language that you use within my midwives sound different to what you would hear in a medical model? Oh, look, you know, I mean, so everything is different. So you know, the space <laughs> is different, the language is different the relationship is different because really you're looking at a partnership model that is, uh, I suppose, a professional friendship is the way you could almost describe it because you're actually going through and learning um, about a person in a way that is far different to if you're just on a ward and you're actually or you're a doctor and you're just kind of getting the clinical, you know, what's what's so what's in front of your face you're doing sets of obs you're doing stuff this is about what's what happened to you as a young child potentially or what's happened in your life that's brought you to this part of your journey and that develops over sort of you know when I say nine months I mean however long that journey is in the beginning you know women often come to a midwife at sort of that eight to ten week mark so you know at at about from about eight to ten weeks to sort of 40 weeks gestation you're building this sort of blooming relationship about talking about you you know feelings and and stuff that is nothing to do with the actual what's your blood pressure like or or whatever but you're looking at how that sort of stuff impacts the blood pressure you still got to do all the medico stuff like it's not like you're putting that out the window but you're also building this relationship on top of that at the same time it's so interesting you say that i mean i've heard we talk about this a fair bit when we do empathy training is the language that we use yeah. and words like deal with or manage. So as a person to be managed is a, I mean, when I was in the um, hospital as a consumer advocate, I heard people who were larger, like larger women just being referred to as the BMI, like completely yeah. removing <laughs> the humanity from that individual and it's bringing that humanity back it's bringing that individualism back it's bringing that beauty back to motherhood and giving birth and that empowerment yeah and, and look that's the that that's the that's the thing really is that we sort of say that in this model there's no it's not like you're on a train into a particular sort of consumer like a process that you're not a process you're not a you're not on a on a journey that goes this step that step this step that step it is about individualized care and looking at exactly what it is that makes up your uniqueness because the woman is actually the 
the uh, expert in herself, you know, like she knows herself better than we're ever going to know her, you know, and it's about making sure that that that, that is able to grow and we say you know we want to awaken and inspire the unique inner power of every single woman that's part of our that's part of our sort of mantra our value system at my midwives because every single person has got something inside them that's an, a unique um, and powerful part of them now for some women that doesn't even come out in their birth or it doesn't even necessarily come out in their feeding or whatever it might be something that's just a spark that's awakened to something else for their further journey and that's I know it sounds all a bit you know um <laughs> sounds a bit sort of like we've been quite hippie or whatever but but that's that that's what we're trying to do we're trying to make sure that every single woman comes through that mothering that part of the early mothering period with something that has actually enabled them to access something within themselves that that helps them in that in that journey so that's a really important part of of the my midwives kind of ethos i suppose yeah and I think it's that holistic approach as well that the dad and the other kids and the do you incorporate yeah, yeah. Them? because yeah so look you know the dads feel like very on the outside like they're just tits on a ball they say yeah so we from from our perspective the partner's job in the space is is very different within midwifery and within sort of standard maternity care because in standard maternity care the the partners are having to think about what's going on, who's doing what, you know, almost a, a on guard, what does this mean, is she okay? Whereas we sort of try and make sure that the partners have, are totally freed up from that sort of feeling to just do their job of loving the birthing woman because at the end of the day the partner is the person in the room that actually knows and loves the woman the absolute most of anybody that's in the space. So if we can actually just facilitate that love, that comes through in spades in terms of all of the endorphins that are there, all of the oxytocin that's building and so forth. Likewise with the with the siblings, I mean, we see the most gorgeous things, obviously in different spaces and different times, different ages of children, all of that sort of stuff. But where siblings are actually just given the the run of the show, so to speak, they do the most incredible job of, of bringing oxytocin into that room. And if the woman is actually in her own space and in her own power and they can and they can sort of feed into that it's just it's just mind-boggling and what a what an experience for them you know they they rarely ever look back on anything you know is it being traumatic or difficult or, or whatever they just they just love it they love being there they think it's just so amazing so that's something that we can you know not it's it's and it's not for everybody to have other children there you know at different situations but certainly uh where they want to be involved it's a it's a really great experience for everyone so with my midwives just to clarify do you have a birth center or do you do home births or do you do host like where do women who work with or work with what's the word yeah <laughs> Yeah, no. So, that, so when they're when they've engaged in my midwives midwife, it really depends on where they want to birth. So we have visiting access, so we can admit women into a range of different hospitals. So women can be admitted as our I don't want to use the word patient, our client, our you know that they're admitted by us. So instead of having a doctor admitting them, they have a my midwives midwife admitting them. But we also do have um, some space outside of hospitals that is uh, available for women who want to birth in a space that is sort of centralised and uh, allows a birth centre type space or a birth centre space um, distinct from birth centres in a hospital, you know, like an outside birth centre. Um, and we also have women that birth in their own home. Um, and look, it really is dependent on so many things. And look, you can't you can't throw out risk because risk is part of the story. You know, there are going to be women for whom having a baby outside of a hospital is a really bad idea. And I, you know, I you have to say that because obviously there are circumstances where that is 
really, you know, the reality. And and that's, you know, that's why we've got great hospitals around us. But, you know, for many women, they do want to have baby outside the hospital. That's a possibility with my midwives. And so, you know, it just depends in the different practices as to what sort of level people choose. And I must admit that COVID has had a massive impact on that because there is a sort of a increase in women choosing not to go into hospital for a variety of reasons, um, including, yeah. you know, limitations and so forth. So, you know, it's it's really, I guess, the, the beauty of it is that you can choose your care provider and then whatever evolves through the course of your pregnancy, it's catered for. So, you know, they you need a cesarean section, it's catered for. You want to have a home birth, it's catered for. So it's yeah. not something that you have to worry about when you're actually picking your care provider at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So is there resistance to commu- uh, continuity of care from midwives themselves? From other midwives? Mm, not within yeah, not midwives, obviously, but yeah, no, the look, community? Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, there is a resistance, probably even, you know, there's probably resistance broadly that you you have to give a lot. Like you have a, you have to have a fairly clear heart and you do have to give a lot to be on call and involved in continuity of care models. And so for some midwives, they see that as a barrier. I don't ever see that as a barrier, whereas I see that as it's just a it's just a, a small problem to be actually moved around. I've done continuity with tiny little babies and you you actually and, and big kids now, but you know, you you actually um need to just be able to think outside the box a little bit as to the way that you actually work around that. And I think that if more midwives were kind of open to that, that we would certainly see more midwives stepping into continuity of care if they looked at ways of job sharing and ways of, you know, because because obviously you can't always be available every single day, 365 days of the year. So it's about developing relationships and being available when you're when the women really need you and saying at the times where they don't really need you, hey, look, I'm going to go and do whatever, have a weekend off, whatever it might be, um, and and trying to just plan that within your life. And it generally it works really super well. But that's probably where some of the barriers resist, uh, you know, exist, sorry, between um, midwives that are working not in continuity of care and those that are working in continuity of care. Yeah. So by the sound of it, the role of the midwife, and if we, if we talk about empathy from a midwife, that mm-hmm. role of the midwife to have a human-centred approach, to work on building relationships has such a huge positive impact for the mum, the bub, the family, the other siblings, the long-term health of both mum and bub. So then if we talk about for a second empathy for a midwife, you've just talked about being able to juggle and be there and that that's often difficult but very rewarding what's your favorite thing about being a midwife oh look my favorite thing about being a midwife is seeing women a long way past this actual part that we're talking about so my favorite thing is seeing them at when they've got a two-year-old or a five-year-old or a teenager you know like like and they still remember and recognise the impact that mm-hmm. having midwifery care had on them as a mother. So it can, I mean, and it sounds a bit sort of overdramatic, but it can set down the whole pattern of being a mother for a woman. Oh, absolutely. And look, you know, I've seen women who, for example, have had, say, four, ba- well, this particular woman that I'm, that's come to mind, four babies, not in midwifery continuity of care. She had a really complex social past and she ended up having her fifth baby in midwifery continuity of care and breastfed that baby she'd never breastfed before and so forth and so on. And she, seeing her some years down the track and her reflection on her mothering, not only for that fifth child that she breastfed and that she did, but what the impact then had been to the the way, the style, the, what she was doing with her older children as a result of that final birth was so profound that, like, it just it just blows me away even thinking about it now because she had changed as a mother 
just because of the care that she'd received in that midwifery continuity of care model. And look, how can you how can you even you know how can you explain it? Why can't we bottle it? Because you know, I mean, that's that's what you know, whether it benefits the children, whether it benefits the mother, it doesn't actually matter because the whole of it benefits society. So we we it means we change the foundations, the fundamental view of society. And I guess, you know, going right off off peace sort of thing, off segueing off here, you know, the in the some of the countries like with Inuits in Canada, they had, you know, they've done trials of doing providing midwifery in their actual community and the changes on that society around things like domestic violence, drug and alcohol use, you know, all that, where you've got really um, contained societies and you can actually measure it, it's just enormous. So, you know, because the whole mothering changes, the family dynamic changes, everything changes in that whole society. So, you know, we can't just kind of write it off and go, well, you know, this isn't important because it actually, it is really, really important. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I went through the birth centre and I went through with eight of the most beautiful women, most beautiful women and the support of that group of women and the support of our midwives and how we still talk about our midwives is beautiful. We actually wrote a book for them. And we presented them with a book that was all of the recipes and birth stories and pictures and, oh, it, and to me that was so life-changing of feeling a part of something and feeling empowered and feeling beautiful and not feeling afraid. And these women were on the same journey and the midwives were on the same journey as well. It, there was no part of it that was isolating. Yeah. And, and look, oh. yeah, that's a that's a massive thing. And I think that the other thing, you know, when we talk about isolation, particularly, you know, at the moment when we sort of people are in their houses and lockdowns and whatever, you know, we we have to look at community and what midwifery does for community and for bringing everybody together, everybody into the space, whether it's, you know, a, a real space as in um, you know they're all in the same house, but it's also that that feeling of being part of something, that feeling of being in a community that is that is really really pivotal to the way that we provide our care. Yeah. the The question that comes up is then how do you do all of this and yourself face trauma? Because you would have negative experiences as well. Like how do you invest and keep deepening relationships when there's always risk, there's always trauma, there's always the, oh, you know what I'm asking. I do know what you're asking. And, look, you know, people sort of think about trauma as being, you know, the really catastrophic events. They're, they're few and far between. But it's the it's the trauma of someone actually experiencing something they don't want to experience or the trauma of the the relationship um you know the relationship breakdown which occurs in all relationships you know so it's i think the thing that's really important for us as midwives is mm. the self-care that we do and the way that we actually build team and working with teams of people to actually you know, develop those relationships and to talk and to connect and to nurture each other. Because if you don't have that, then you haven't, you're giving from an empty bucket, you know, there's nothing left there to give. And so we've got to, we've got to build that in ourselves. And we do. And that's how midwives who sustain in this way of working have really strong usually really strong uh relationships with other people they usually have very strong sense of themselves and that they work with whether it's formally or informally to make sure and probably both really to be fair to to look at the ways that they can actually strengthen and, and build uh, their own internal capacity and and support themselves internally and then support others in the team and look that's a that's a really that's a fascinating thing you know the teams of midwives working together and how they actually how they actually support each other because obviously 
if they don't support each other well, then, it, again, you can have some really destructive, toxic sort of environments. And we see that, unfortunately, in hospitals where, you know, um, and not, not always just hospitals, you know, lots of places in society where, you know, the relationships are not, are not based in those um, in those really sort of foundational values and what you're doing for yourself. Yeah, that's one of the things that we talk about a lot in empathy training is it's one thing, especially let's say in a midwife, it's one thing to continually give and give and give, but empathy is not give, give, give to the client. It's it's you've got to fill your own cup first. You have to have those. And so it's empathy for yourself, empathy for your team, and that's how you get the best, and whether it's a customer or a client, you get the best results for them and they get the best results when you do put yourself first, when you put your team's needs and you have that value of the team. So in my midwives, it sounds like mental health is a conversation that you have. It's, it's a constant conversation. You know, one of our values, like, you know, in our, in our core values is team and we're constantly looking at ways to, and I'll use the word invest, but, I don't, you know, like to invest in our, in our team and, and to talk to each other about how each other are doing and what that actually looks like um, in pairs. So, you know, like midwives working with their backup in the small groups, like the little pods within each um, each practice at a practice level and then at a whole organisation level. So, you know, knowing where people are at um, is really important to us. And and that is, it's, it's quite interesting because a lot of midwives that have had some sort of, uh, you know, period of mental health issue or challenge actually are often drawn into this model because they have then done a lot of work in that space and they really they really get it. They really have that sort of layer of understanding that perhaps, you know, um, is, is, I mean, I'm not saying it's lacking in the broader community, but perhaps it's not as well dived into and well developed in, in some people. You know, we look, we talk actively about developing our muscle in certain areas and the areas looking at each other and going, okay, identifying for ourselves, I need some help to develop my muscle to say no to this colleague or just do this in this time. Or, And, you know, we look across the top of our team and say all the time, what do we, what do we need to do here to change this up? And we work in small groups to make sure that we're impacting that all the time. It sounds so beautiful <laughs> it sounds but it sounds like what we want not only for a birthing mums but that's what we want business to be that's what we want all of this to be we want to be encouraged to take care of ourselves be encouraged to take care of our team members and it shouldn't have to be in a space that is high risk it should and I hate the word should but it, yeah. it needs to be across the board where we're encouraged to take care of ourselves so apart from uh let's say the team how else do you encourage your midwives to take care of themselves so we i mean we spend a lot of time talking about um all sorts of different aspects because fatigue is a big issue so fatigue yeah. management and and time out is a big issue and um because obviously uh, when we're working you know, you can be with a woman for a long time. And so you need to talk about that. You need to talk about, well, how are we doing that? What are they doing with the rest of their life, the rest of their, you know, whether it's food, exercise, their own personal relationships, their family, all of that sort of stuff. And that all needs to be and is talked about, you know, frequently. We have specific times where we actually do that formally um, as in different team meetings and things like that we have little every group has a little huddle where they're actually check in with each other but you know obviously we can we can always do better and I think that one of the things that we're really working on at the moment is how that pair structure actually does check in on each other's fatigue levels because I think that you know we are often midwives are goers you know we want to do the right thing by our clients but it's really important that those sorts of things sleep you know that we're actually checking in okay so what's happening here with literally not just 
fatigue days off but how are you sleeping like what's your sleep like what's this look like and getting down into the sort of tin tacks of of what can we what can we do in that space to make sure that people are are well and where they're not actually addressing that in a a non-judgmental sort of a way because obviously there are times where you know I'm sort of making it sound wine and roses it's not always wine and roses and obviously everybody's life you know there's our team in Melbourne for example this last few weeks has been you know in full PPE for every single birth in hospital because of the where the risk status was for the particular hospital they're in you know how do you sleep when you get out of that? Like, how do you get home? How do you how do you relax? Like, what are you doing? Are you exercising? Are you getting outside? Are you getting fresh air? How is that looking? And actually having those direct conversations with people and encouraging them to do it with each other to make sure that they're actually properly checking in, not just kind of forcing over the surface of it. Yeah. And it's that feeling of safety as well. I mean, as well as safety for mums, but safety for your colleagues to be able to say, I'm not sleeping so good and feel, and just that level of trust. And so that's the sense that I'm getting is that sense of trust and safety and belonging and respect. That means that you can genuinely be honest and say, I'm not sleeping very well. I do need help. I'm, or if you're in a good place, being able to offer that support and be vulnerable. Yeah, and look, I think the thing for me, you know, is the trust and the fact that you know we get a lot of um, a lot of the people that join the team as quite well, not junior midwives, but not you know we've got a lot of people obviously because of the level of care that we provide that are quite a ways down the line in their careers. So they've had a lot of time to develop these strategies and to do this kind of work. But then we get you know, the newcomers that are coming in, that are coming through the ranks, and we encourage that for sustainability, obviously, and, you know, for for a lot of reasons. Um, But getting them to be able to to develop that trust, to actually be able to be open about where they're at and, you know, be, you know, and it is us, the senior midwives, senior clinicians showing our vulnerabilities and being able to be really open about where we are, and and that's something that I take really really seriously at the top of the top of the tree is being able to be really open and vulnerable in that space to build that trust to, and to show them how that develops as the relationship between your staff members and yourself develop exactly the same as it develops within in the relationships with women and their families. Yeah, yeah. and by the sound of it, from a business perspective, that makes total sense that it's not profit above all else but you would protect your staff and protect them from burnout and have reduced staff turnover and not people leaving at the end of their wick (laughs) look we do we still I would say that probably one of the things that is still really critical in this space is burnout like it is it is still a really big issue and it's one that we um as a company from a business perspective do look to address all of the time. And it's something that, you know, we sort of in the last financial year looked at, okay, well, what do we what do we need to invest in now? And what we need to invest in now, and we've we've um, started it in the last sort of couple of months, is looking at strategies around the staff and how we can actually deal with their wellbeing even better than we do now, because I recognise that particularly as people that are givers, you know, this is a giving sort of space that we need to be really tuned in as to what what we do to fill their cups. And so, you know, we we bring them together, we talk to them about it and work out different things, you know, where their values sit and what they would value as being something that would help them to actually increase their ability to fill their own cups. And, and that's, you know, that's ongoing work. You know, that's not something that... Um, with a staff of sort of, you know, 40-plus women all working in a giving way, you, you know, that's, that's, not a, that's not a conversation that ever ends. It's kind of yeah. like just this trajectory of work in progress. But I guess it's the thing about, you know, realising it and being present to it at, at the beginning of it that is, is the thing that makes a difference. You know, if you're not present to it, if you've got a, a boss or a manager who's not really um, even thinking about those things, you're in a different space altogether, aren't you? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. 
So you're saying that it takes more than just a once a year are you okay day and putting <laughs> oh look it it takes you know the 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 communication process like I the the it, it takes a a daily and hourly um tune in it's not it's not something that ever goes away and I guess for me is you know for me to fill my cup you know I need to be able to you know for me to step out and and do that as um, with my own family and my, in my own life because I have to come in and I, there's all of that that goes on every single day, every single hour. That's what I see my job as is is making sure that they are, you know, we, we, it's not about an annual performance review. It's about, a, you know, conversation that goes on every day or, you know, however often it needs to. So, yeah, that's, that's funny really when you think about it, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Liz, thank you so much for today. Now, if people want to find you and if mums want to find you, how do they how do they find you? The best way is to just jump onto our website with www.mymedwives.com.au and there's form fields on there and they can they just generally reach out via that or any of the other methodologies. I'm the I'm the beginning and end of Instagram. So, like, people often re- reach out via Instagram, which becomes then my full-time job nearly because it gets overwhelming. But, you know, it's, yeah, we, we absolutely, um, members of the team will touch in with anyone that wants to reach out to us in that yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations, you won an award recently on the Mumpreneur yeah. Award. Yeah, no, I mean, that was a, that was a funny old, business really I didn't expect that at all um, and particularly the level of success across so many different um, categories was kind of a bit of a bit of a shock for me but um, but lovely you know and it is I think I think the fact that I'm a mum as well is very much um, central to my own um, makeup and you know my own mothering journey has impacted me significantly in that space so it's really it was a quite a uh, quite a chuffed, you know, I was quite chuffed with it. So oh, yeah. it was lovely. Liz, thank you so much today. I wish you every success. And like Liz said, if you do want to find her, she's at www.mymidwives.com.au. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Liz. I love this discussion. It was so beautiful. Thank you so much, Liz. That was such a beautiful discussion. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. If you would like to find out more about My Midwives, you can go to mymidwives.com.au. And if you would like to find out more about empathy training, so learning more about what empathy really is, why it's important to you and your business, and how to really communicate with empathy, you can go to empathyfirst.com. Dot au. My name's Leanne Butterworth and that was the Empathy Podcast. <laughs>